Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. Series is called A Beautiful Narrative, and um, I'm going to be um, uh, talking about where these sort of two stories, uh, as Pastor Marv has been going through with you guys so far this Christmas season, there's the story of one miracle baby. His name is going to be John, born to Zachariah and Elizabeth. And then there's another miracle baby, um, Jesus, and he's going to be born to Mary and Joseph. And so far, it's been kind of two separate stories. And then now these two stories are going to, uh, they're going to overlap. And so we're going to pick it up in John uh, chapter uh, sorry, in Luke chapter 1, in verse 39, it says, In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Uh, we're going to stop right there, but uh, just sort of full disclosure, we're going to cover like 41 verses uh, uh, this morning, and so I'm not sure why Marv, as he was dividing it up, decided to give me such a large chunk, but anyway, here we are, and, and, but we're just going to sort of take it section by section, and three things that I want you to know about God, as we think about this beautiful narrative, this isn't Elizabeth and Zachariah's story, this isn't... Mary and Joseph's story. This is Jesus' story. And when you're thinking about the life of this church or your own individual life, this isn't about Hope Church a Toronto North. Or this, this is about Jesus. He's at the center. And then this is about God and what he is doing. And so as we're looking at Mary's story and Elizabeth's story, what we're trying to not just simply follow Mary's example or Elizabeth's example, although they do set a good example for us, ultimately we're trying to learn about God. And what we're going to discover from God firstly is this, is that God blesses those who believe. He blesses those who believe. Look, look down at verse 45, which I just read. It said, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That's what Elizabeth says to Mary. But Mary took this journey down to visit Elizabeth. And that was a, a journey of faith. It, it, she followed uh, her faith. She believed what Gabriel had told her, that not only had, was Mary going to conceive by the Holy Spirit, but that Elizabeth was going to uh, conceive as well. And so Mary, because she believed, she took action. 
And God blesses those who believe. Now we need to be clear because the word bless and the word believe are often misunderstood and misused today in our broader culture and even in the church. Chances are, if you're putting hashtag in front of blessed, you misunderstand what blessed means. Because blessed does not simply mean, you know, financial prosperity or good health or, or success in your job. That may be one small part of what it means to be blessed, but at the end of the day, blessing means the presence, the favor, the power of God in your life. Listen, you could be dead broke and be blessed because you have the presence, the favor, and the power of God in your life. You could be in a hospital room and have the blessing and the favor and the power of God in your life. So let's be clear about what blessing is. But let's also be clear about what believe is. Because some people think that belief is something that we have to conjure up in ourselves or, or belief is just some sort of abstract thought, you know, like I believe in aliens. Okay, good for you. But we don't believe in God the way someone believes in aliens. It's not simply believing that something exists. Belief in the Bible is active trust. I gotta ask you, do you believe in chairs? Right, do you believe in chairs? Can I hear an amen? Amen, we got some people who believe in chairs. Now, it's not enough to simple, simply believe in chairs. To believe in chairs biblically means that you trust, not just that you believe that this chair exists, but that you trust and sit down in it. Now, you don't need to have strong faith in chairs to sit in the chair, do you? You don't have to conjure up all of these feelings. No, if it's a good chair, it's going to hold you. But here's the other thing. If you have strong faith when there's a chair, but there's no chair there, it doesn't matter how strong your faith is, you're going to hit the floor. If I have strong faith and believe that there's a chair right here, and then I go, listen, someone tell me to stop, right? Because belief is taking action. It's not enough just to believe in chairs. You've got, to, you've got to sit down. You've got to take active trust. Now, Mary took active trust. Did she believe that she was going to conceive by the Holy Spirit? Did she believe that her relative Elizabeth had, had conceived in her old age? Well, listen, belief comes with boots on. Belief comes and is ready to march. You see, we gloss over so quickly, verse 39, in those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judah. So Mary's up in Galilee and she went to Judah and sometimes we read, you know, it only took one verse to describe it, it couldn't have been that long of a trip, right? Well, even if Mary were the furthest south possibly location in Galilee and if Elizabeth was living in the northernmost part of of Judah, it would have taken, it would have been a 95 kilometer journey on foot. Four days. Imagine if you were gonna walk to Kitchener. I don't know why you'd wanna walk to Kitchener, but anyway, you, you, you have to, you'd probably have to stop, maybe you could walk along the 401, you could stop by our church in Mississauga, you could camp out there for a day, and then maybe you'd have to, to stop at, at, at Highway 6 somewhere along the, along the lines. And, and camping out and walking, think about this, newly pregnant Mary, morning sickness, hormones, all these things happening, she got 
up, went in haste, took a four-day walking journey. Why? Because she believed. And she was seeking confirmation. She was seeking encouragement. She wanted to see what God was doing in her relative's life. Verse 40 says that she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, no news, no news that a that an angel had come to visit her, no news that she was expecting, nothing like that. Elizabeth heard nothing, but look what happens in verse 41. When Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. In utero, John the Baptist does his job. He pointed his mother to Jesus. That, that was John's whole purpose, was to point people to Jesus. John did it in the womb. He did it when he was older, when he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when he said, behold, listen, I'm baptizing you with water, but there's someone coming who's going to baptize with fire and with the Holy Spirit. John did his job. Are you doing your job? You might not have been called to do it from the womb, but at some point, if you have been called to follow Jesus, then you are called to point people to Jesus. And it's, our relationship with Jesus is not just something that happens behind closed doors on a Sunday morning or first thing in the morning in our own personal devotions. No, our relationship with Jesus must be public, and we must point people to Jesus. How are we doing with that? It says that Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and then says that she exclaimed with a loud cry. I never understand in church when, when you know, a preacher is saying, and, and she said in a loud cry, blessed are you among women. No, she said in a loud cry, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. The Spirit caused her to lift up her voice. It was so great to, to be here and to be singing with you, hearing voices lifted up in praise to Jesus. Pump up the volume, church. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then she says, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Again, the Spirit revealed this to Elizabeth. Mary did not only have to go on the testimony of Gabriel. Because she had faith, because she believed, and belief has boots on, because believing caused her to go and do something about it, she got further confirmation. She heard it from Gabriel, and now, without having to tell anything to Elizabeth, she's hearing the exact same thing from Elizabeth. No, Mary's probably thinking, am I showing already? What, like, how, like, what's going on? But it was the Spirit that had revealed this to Elizabeth, and look at what she calls Mary, the mother of my Lord. Embryonic Jesus is Lord. That he is king, he is in charge. Verse 44, she explains what happened. She says, for, for behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, just the greeting, just the greeting, no details about the angel, no details about, about the baby, just the greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And she said, blessed is she who believed. Blessed, favor of God, presence of God, power of God, is she who believed, who trusted, didn't just believe that God existed, but, but actually took action. She believed 
that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. God blesses those who believe. It's always been God's intention to bless human beings with his favor, with his presence, with his power, going all the way back to the book of Genesis. Check this out. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The next thing he did was he blessed them. You think about God having a little to-do list in terms of creating the universe, right? So, you know, day one, you know, light, and, and day two, day three, sun, moon, stars, creating the environment, and then, then the, the pinnacle of creation, day six, he creates human beings. What's the next thing on his list? What's the, what's the very first thing? Okay, human beings are created, male and female, okay, check. Now what? Now I'm gonna bless them. That was his initial intention, not to teach them, but to bless them. His, his initial purpose for humanity was to bless, to give them his presence, his favor, his power. Think about that. But something's gone horribly wrong. Satan slithered into the Garden of Eden, didn't he? And what was the first thing that he did? He said this. Now the serpent said to the woman, did God actually say? What did he attack? He attacked belief. Can you really trust God? Can you really believe in him? Are you sure you want to sit down in that chair? Is he actually reliable? Did God actually say? You see, Satan is always trying to attend. So you, you want to really define what spiritual warfare actually is? Spiritual warfare is Satan just trying to get us not to believe, not to act on our faith. Not to believe that God is good. He comes at it from all of these different angles. But at the end of the day, Satan's playing the same old tricks. Did God really say? Satan knows that if he can get us to stop believing, then that means that God cannot bless. Because believing is the way that we experience God's blessing. You can't receive the presence of God, the favor of God, and the power of God in your life if you don't believe that he's there. So God blesses those who believe. And then we have Mary responding to all of this, erupting into song at verse 46. It says, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. Jot this down if you're taking notes. God exalts those. Oh, sorry, I forgot one more thing. One more thing. So Mary is called blessed here. Elizabeth calls her blessed. Now, our, we're in a Roman Catholic school right now, and we have Roman Catholic neighbors and, and Roman Catholic friends and coworkers. And unfortunately, our, our Roman Catholic friends often misunderstand this idea of, Jesus, or sorry, of Mary being blessed, that they sort of elevate Mary. They pray to Mary, hail Mary. They worship Mary in a sense. And we can, we can understand why they would have that misunderstanding. They, they look at a verse like, like what Elizabeth said in the power of the Holy Spirit and declared her to be blessed. But listen, that blessing is for all of us. All of us are invited to experience God's blessing by believing. And we can understand why Roman Catholics might, might have this sort of misunderstanding because even in the days of Jesus, there was a common misunderstanding. In Luke chapter 11, it says, and 
As he said these things, this is Jesus, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast that which you nursed. Someone, someone said, Jesus, you must have had an amazing mother. Your mother must be blessed. She must be special. She must be elevated. Where is she? We've got to worship her. We've got to praise her. Even in the days of Jesus, they were thinking that. But look at what Jesus said. Jesus says, Blessed rather are those who hear the word and keep it. Those who believe what God has said. Those who don't believe the lie of of Satan. Did God really say? Blessing comes to those who hear the word and keep it. So, you just got to picture Mary up there in heaven when they hear thousands and thousands of people being like, Hail Mary. She's like, knock it off. As a, even if she can hear prayer, I don't know. But anyway, she's like, hail, hail me. Don't hail me. Hail Jesus. The blessing is for all of us. Follow his word. Don't get it, don't get it twisted. God blesses those who believe. So going back now to where I realized I had forgotten something, go back to verse 48. It says, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant, for behold, from now on, all generations shall call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Again, Mary, she recognizes that she's blessed. But she, she's not blessed because of any virtue in, in and of herself. It's he who is mighty has done great things for me. She said, I'm not, she said, I'm not the one that's mighty. Holy is his name. I'm not the one that is holy. So make note of this, secondly, that God exalts those who are humble. God exalts those who are humble. So God blesses those who believe, and then secondly, God exalts those who are humble. In verse 48, she said that God had looked on the humble estate of his servant. Verse 50 says, his mercy is for those who fear him. Mary knew that she needed mercy. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mary knew what she deserved. Mary knew that she was a sinner. She knew that she needed God's mercy in her life from generation to generation. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and has, note this again, exalted those of humble estate. God exalts the humble. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. This is describing what so often we see in the, in the New Testament, this idea of reversal, is that the strong turn out to be weak. The weak turn out to be strong. The rich turn out to be poor. The poor turn out to be rich. Do you see it that there in verse 33? He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be Filled. There is a blessing that comes to those who know they're hungry, who know they're needy, who know they are weak. That is the kind of person, the humble person, the person of a broken and contrite spirit that God wants to flow and fill with his power. Then she shifts to a national focus in verse 54. It says, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy again, not just Mary needing mercy, the whole nation needs mercy. 
And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. So she's looking back into history. She's looking at Abraham and the promises that God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, that he would give him a land and a nation and that through him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So she looks back into the past history and then she looks forward into eternity with that word forever to Abraham and his offspring forever. You see, Mary here is humble enough to recognize that this story is not about her. She places herself sort of on this timeline. She looks back to Abraham and his blessing, and she looks forward to the promise of forever. And a truly humble person understands where they fit in the timeline. The truly humble person knows whose story they are a part of. The proud person thinks, you know what, yeah, maybe, maybe I need a little Jesus in my life. Maybe I, I need to add God and spirituality to my already awesome life. Yeah, Jesus can come and be a part of my story. That's, that's really not how it works. He's got to be at the center. It's us marveling at the fact that we are a part of his story, the beautiful narrative. It's not about us. It's not about Mary. It's not about Elizabeth. The beautiful narrative is that we are a humble, broken people that have been invited into God's story and what he is doing. God exalts those who are humble. Verse 56 says, Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Look at verse 57 now. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. There's that word mercy again. It's all over this passage. And they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. They're all thinking he's going to be called Zachariah. And then Elizabeth says, no, 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 he's, he's, he's going to be called John. And they're like, but we ordered all this monogram stuff from Etsy. <laughs> what, what do you mean we're going to call him John? So then they, they, then they make an appeal to the, uh, to, the, to the father. Verse 62, and they made signs to his father inquiring what he what he wanted him to be called, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. You guys had learned about Zechariah a little earlier in the story, but this is great encouragement. Zechariah is going to be greatly used by God. Zechariah was under the discipline of God. Zechariah doubted what the angel had said, and he went through a season, a sort of a wilderness season, a season of discipline. And some, maybe you're in that place. Maybe you've made some bad choices. Maybe you did not act in faith. You did not believe. Therefore, you did not experience blessing. And you're suffering the consequences for that. But you can take courage that, that, that it doesn't have to end that way. 
That's not how it ended for Zechariah. He learned the lesson. He grew through it, and God had great plans for him. So don't ever think that your story is over. This may be a difficult chapter that you're in right now, and it's a necessary chapter, and remember, it's not your story. That God is doing something, and it's not ultimately about you, but he wants to use you. There will be a time where he will open your mouth again. The hand of the Lord was with him, it says at the end of verse 66, and then we have another poem. This whole section is just this glorious merging of prophecy and poetry all coming together. Verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up the horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. A horn of salvation from the house of his servant David. What house were Zechariah and Elizabeth from? They're from the house of Aaron. You see, Zechariah, this is really instructive for us here. They're celebrating the birth of their child. But even in the celebration of the birth of John to descendants of Aaron, their ultimate focus, the one who is at the center, is Jesus. They're not talking about the great lineage and the history of prophets and how John is going to be a prophet. They're not looking at the great history going back to Exodus and Leviticus and the, the, the Aaronic priesthood. And They're not talking about any of that. They're not talking about their heritage or their story. They're talking about the story of the Savior, Jesus. And so parents, this is something... This is, no, not directly from this passage, but something that's instructive. When we celebrate birthdays of our children, we need to make sure that we, we, we give thanks to the Lord that we have been given this child, but that we also make it about Jesus. That there's something in the celebration that is teaching this child, because everyone else is telling them that this world is all about them. And the gifts are for them, and the party is for them, and the decorations for them. We need to have something to reorient that little heart to understand that their life is not ultimately about them, that it's about Jesus. And Zechariah models that for us here. He's not talking about John. He's talking about the baby that's in Mary's womb who had just gone home and was about to make that journey to Bethlehem. Talks about this horn of salvation. A horn is a, a symbol of strength. Verse 70, he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, all of the different times that the prophets had talked about, a descendant of David, you know, 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 11, Isaiah 16, Isaiah 55, Ezekiel 34, Micah 5, Psalm 2, Psalm 110, Psalm 89, Amos 9, just a few, spoken by the prophets of old. Verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, there's Abraham again, 
Mary was talking about Abraham, that the, the ultimate father of the nation of Israel, the one, through, the one that the promise was given, not just to Israel, but it was a promise for the whole world. It was a promise for us that through an offspring of Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now the focus goes on John. After all of that talk, all of the focus about Jesus and about God, and then he says, and you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And notice this, you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Think, think about what Zechariah is saying here about Jesus. John was not going to be a prophet who was going to go before another great prophet like our Muslim neighbors would believe. John was not going to be a prophet who was going to go um, before another great uh, guru or an, another great religious leader as our other neighbors might believe. No, John was going to be a prophet who was going to go before the Lord. The word the Lord appears 17 times in Luke chapter 1. Every time it's referring to the Lord, the creator of the universe, the king of kings. And John's role is to go before the Lord. That little embryo in Mary's womb is the Lord, is God in flesh. Pastor Marv shared with you last week how he's 100% man and 100% God, he's 100% man to, to, to pay the ultimate sacrifice for us, but he is 100% man to come to, to, to bring that blessing of God's presence, God's favor to us. He will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Verse 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender, there's the word mercy again, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Jot this down thirdly, that God is a God who gives light to those who are in darkness, who gives light to those who are in darkness. Verse 77, he says, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. He talked about salvation earlier in verse 69, the horn of salvation, and then verse 70, that we'd be saved, same, same concept, salvation and saved from our enemies. So there, there was a sense of this expectation of a, a political freedom that the Messiah was going to bring, but then Zechariah, by the Holy Spirit, zeroes in on a deeper freedom. He says, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. You see, the people of Israel in those days had a problem that was bigger than the Roman Empire. And it wasn't a problem on the outside, it was a problem on the inside. It was the problem of sin. And Jesus was going to come to give knowledge of salvation to his people for the forgiveness of their sins. Sins. He was going to deal with the ultimate problem. 
verse 78, it says, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. God gives light to those who are in darkness. Notice how the sunrise comes to visit. Notice how the light needs to be given. It ha- it's something that is coming from outside. You see, we live in a world that acknowledges darkness, but acknowledges darkness as somewhere out there, somewhere outside. And we have a generation, and I'm part of it, that has been raised to believe that all the problems in our world are because of the outside. Uh, Corrupt politicians, uh, 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 oppressive societies or or cultures or or, or economic disparity, whatever it may be, the reason why I'm having problems is because of the darkness around me on the outside. And so we've created this victimization culture where everyone has someone else to blame. The reason why I'm not thriving, the reason why I'm not growing, the reason why I'm not succeeding is because of all of these other factors, the darkness on the outside. Now the Bible by no means minimizes the darkness on the outside. It talks about the enemies. It talks about the enemies, the oppressors. That's a very real thing, but the Bible takes it one step deeper. And it points to the darkness that is on the inside. And that's something that our world is not willing to do. Our world says that any problems that we have, it's our parents' fault or it's our society's fault or whatever. Our world teaches that inside we're just we're, we're perfectly good. We're an innocent child. There's a wounded child inside of all of us. That the light is somehow inside of all of us. From every university lecture to every Disney movie, it's all telling the same story. There's a bad culture out there and a good you. You're surrounded by darkness, but there's a light inside of you, and you've got to find a way to let that light shine. That's why we live in a culture that's more depressed and more anxious than ever before. Why? Because everyone has been being told that the world out there is scary and that the answer to, to walking in this dark and scary world is to look inside yourself. And we have a whole generation looking inside of, inside of their self, and they're trying to hear the truth, and there's silence. And they're trying to look for the light, and there's darkness. And everyone around us, everyone's social media, and everyone's television, everything is saying that the light is inside, the light is, it seems to be working for everyone else, but why isn't it working for me? But Jesus has come as the light from the outside to change us on the inside. He has come to deal with what John, the, what, what John the Baptist was going to point to, what his father said here in verse 77, the knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of sins. C.S. Lewis said, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus for the same reason I believe that the sun has risen, S-U-N. Not simply that I see the sun, but that by it I see everything else. Like outside the window right now. You know the sun is up, right? You can't see the sun, but you can see the sidewalk and the lamppost. You can see those things because the sun is shining. 
And when we allow Jesus into our lives, it allows us to have an accurate picture of ourselves as sinners in need of forgiveness, as creatures who have not experienced the blessing of God because we haven't believed. He gives us the faith to believe. We make that right with him. We confess our sin. We begin to live by faith. So we begin to see our inside different, but then we also begin to see our world differently. We begin to actually love our enemies because we have the light. We know that our enemies are just as scared as we are and just as lost as we were. And so we can turn around and love our enemies because the light has shone in the darkness of our hearts. You see, when you're, when you're in the dark, you're directionless. You ever go down to your basement and you think you could go in and get something without turning the lights on and you're, just, you're running down, you're in too much of a hurry and then you're like, where am I? there's no sense of direction. When when it's pitch black, you don't know which way to go. When you're in the darkness, there's there's also the sense of danger. Have you ever been in the woods late at night and it's pitch black and you hear like the snap of a twig? Like it could have been like a little chipmunk or it could have been a mountain lion ready to pounce on you. There's this sense of danger because of the unknown, because of the darkness. And then in darkness, there's this sense of despair. You don't know where you're going. There's all of this fear. And this wonder, why would I even bother taking a step forward? I don't know if it's going to lead, lead in the right way or the wrong way. And loved ones, we're surrounded by people who are, who are directionless, who have a fear of danger and, and who are despairing and they need the light. They need the light, the light that shall visit us, the light that has been given to us. I mean, this is, this is not just a New Testament theme. This is, I mean, this is, when we talk about a beautiful narrative, I mean, Genesis to Revelation is is the ultimate beautiful narrative, isn't it? I mean, it started in Genesis chapter 1. God said, you know, it says that the earth was without form and void and darkness. Darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And ever since then, there's been light. But then... Later on, in, in, as in Isaiah chapter 9, talking about the darkness that's inside of all of us, it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. This is a prophecy about, about Jesus. And then Jesus arrives on the sign, he makes it even clearer. In John eight twelve. he spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of of life. And then the Apostle Paul summed it up so beautifully in 2 Corinthians 4, 6. God said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is what has been made available to us. We need the sun to rise in our hearts hearts. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you need to to place your faith in him. Ask him for the forgiveness of sins. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, are there any dark 
areas of your life that you are not allowing the light of Jesus to shine. You need to confess those things to him and celebrate the light that has come into our world. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to spend time in your word. God, we thank you that you have promise to bless those who believe. We thank you, God, that there is hope for those who are humble. And we thank you that you have come to be a light that shines in the midst of darkness. Lord, I pray for every person here right now. I pray especially for those of us who are anxious, who are struggling, who are despairing, who feel like they are in the dark. Lord, I pray that you would let your light shine, that you would give hope and grace and love to them in this moment, Lord. God, we love you and thank you. We pray that you would continue to meet with us as we worship you now. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.